0: Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast, Scott Linden here, glad you could join me, thank you so much. If you're still hunting, I hope you're having a great season, if you're reflecting on your season, kind of all the better. Yeah, things just look a little bit better with a lot more perspective. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that, among other things. Our main guest today, Darrell Smith. If you don't know Darrell, you will by the time we're done talking. He's an artist, a hunting guide, an advocate for hunter recruitment, and a whole lot more. We will talk uh, wild bobwhite hunting, dog handling and training tips, as well as some hunting strategies, all this week with Darrell Smith. We'll also uh, offer up one more last-minute warm-weather hunting destination if you've got a little bit of uh, time and money and uh, discuss, uh, at length, to a relative degree, how you define a long shot in the field. It's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast, made possible by... Uh viz Shooting Systems, LandTrust.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, MidwayUSA.com, ESPAmerica.com, Trulock Choke Tubes, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, and Pointer Shotguns and Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. <laughs> Well, we got two foot drifts in the driveway here, and uh, deeper still out behind the place, so uh, we're not getting near the exercise uh, flick or I need. Now, I could work on that in the house. Poor guy can't join me on the elliptical, so uh, we're trying to get out, and uh, just had a discussion with a buddy. He says, bring the snowshoes. We're going to Nevada, and we are uh, headed there on Sunday, so going to kind of finish out the season before the shot show over there in uh, in northern nevada uh hopefully the drifts are a little bit smaller there uh good chance of chuckers uh there's one or two go-to valley quail spots that i love kind of cool lots of reasons for that i'll share them with you in social media as we get back from there In the meanwhile, what are you up to? Well, you're doing what I'm doing, reflecting a lot on the season or many seasons. And in that vein, I asked on our social media pages, long shot, it's a relative term. In the field, where do you draw the line on distances? Fascinating answers. Love to hear them. Read them. You'll hear them. Rusty Sroshine says, if there's lead in the air, there is hope. Yeah. Mike and Erica Carr say, depends on how wild they are that day. I'll shoot until I get a limit. Uh, Steve Selvig, uh, a little bit more philosophical there, depending on the target, up to 50 yards. Quail, not much past 30 yards. The larger the bird, the farther out I'll succeed. I think there's some s- physics involved in that. Travis Hampton has a sweet spot, 20 to 40 yards. You know, y- y- all of us would do well to pace off the birds that actually fall rag dead in the field and see what they are, um, how far they really are from us. Uh, I've done it a bunch in, um, you know, in conjunction with uh, learning more about shooting. And most of my dead birds are at about 25 yards when they get hit. 25, maybe 30, uh, quite often closer than that. Uh, Think about it. Uh, And actually, if you can get to the range and pattern your gun, I think your eyes will be opened a little bit wider. Darren Timberlake likes his uh, Browning Maxis and Browning Upland XD ammo. Yeah, knocked him down at 50 yards, but that's a lot of lead. So don't shoot when they're too close. Jeff Hansen is the first to make the uh, distinction between steel and lead shot. 50 yards for lead shot, 30 for steel shot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, congratulations, Bill Kosawan. 20 to 40 yards. Sweet spot again. Took a pheasant at 50 yards with a 16 gauge, one and an eighth ounce load. Yeah, one time. None of us could believe I made the shot. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Uh, 50 yards, it seems to be the cutoff for a lot of people. Uh, uh, Hey, more power to you if you can do it. I know the, the shot is still going pretty fast, and if you got enough mass there in number five or something, I get it. And I only wish I could put enough lead, remember to put enough lead at those distances. Maybe I might hit something here or there. Oh, my. Well, no matter what we're doing, we need a good dog working for us, and that's why I feed ProPlan Sport from Purina. The VO2 max increases uh, that a dog experiences when he's getting the right proportion of protein and fat are why. 30% protein, 20% fat in Pro plan sport dog food learn more about all the formulations at proplansport.com high protein is the real deal and real meat <clears throat> pardon me is the first ingredient and uh, you know you all shoot bet we all shoot better with a with a new shotgun yeah it's like fly rods and maybe tires the newer they are, the better we work them. Uh, PointerShotguns.com is where you learn all about the stuff that they are, um, <clears throat> well, bringing in uh, from incredible makers. If you want to learn more about the variety of over and under, side by side, and semi-automatic shotguns, you can not do better than to visit PointerShotguns.com and watch for that cover. On Shooting Sports Magazine, you'll see some of those incredible case-colored side-by-sides. Shooting Sports Magazine. Learn more at PointerShotguns.com. Well, the last time I saw him, it was a brief uh, encounter in line at a Pheasant Fest somewhere, I think. And this will be the first chance we all get to talk with him at length. Darrell Smith joins me from somewhere in the Atlanta metro area. And mm-hmm. I'll bet, I'll bet you're, you're close to something named Peachtree. Welcome to the show, Darrell. <laughs> you sound like you've been here a few times, guy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> the first time I went there was during the Olympics. Okay, and it was it was one of those red eye flights. I get in, the taxi driver takes me to the hotel on Peachtree, and it's the wrong (laughs) Peachtree in the wrong hotel.
1: (laughs) You had a real Atlanta experience then. So, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) thank you for having me on. Man, it is. Pleasure and an honor. Thank you.
0: Well, you're you're welcome. I'm glad to do it and it and gosh, dang it. How how can we have not done it before? But here we are.
1: Here we uh, are, man. Well, I'm I'm excited and I'm a big fan, my friend. Thank Definitely you. Thank
0: you. Well, let let's start with the important stuff. Uh tell me how your hunting has been going.
1: So, okay. All right. Um hunting has been first of all a blessing and I'll say you why I and I say a blessing because of the good and what could perceivably be bad. Um, you know, I'm guiding out here at Orvis and Wing Shooting Guide, um, you know, and public land hunting in Georgia, I mean, it's rough. You know, we've, we, we've got, you know, great birds and, and they're, they're, they're hard to pursue, but all of my clients are happy, Scott, in that we're, we're getting in the birds. The coveys are great. Um, the dog work has been fantastic. Um, I'm bringing in, my my young setter the one setter that i have um, i'm bringing him in on my A team you know he's a starter now so he's been knocking it out the park um with my older dog my oldest pointer vegas um and then we were doing well and and then we hit a i hit a slump man like a cubby slump where yeah. and where it unfortunately it wasn't during any guided hunts like I said, that's where the blessing part comes in because we get into it. But when it's just me and, and my buddies going out hunting, you know, and chasing birds, it, man, like two or three weeks in a row, it, we were in spots that we knew for sure produced birds. It just, I mean, the dog, we best dogs on the ground, dog power, dog numbers, talent, and just wasn't showing up.
0: Well, this this is the – this is the stuff of campfire discussions, uh, mm. including most recently a chuckerhead of mine where I was able to go with a friend who said, yeah, this spot last week had four coveys, that spot had seven, blah, 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 and we saw so few. So yep. so what is your theory on that?
1: I I think and 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 I I love, you know, I I'm, I'm a recent chucker addict. So, shout out to that for you on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. But <laughs> um but down here, man, I think it really comes down to um getting comfortable. I really think it comes down to you go to these spots and we we have those spots right that are the, the honey holes they they produce, we know that. And we get comfortable. And I think we're not the only – if they produce for us, I guarantee you they produce for other people too, right? Sure. And it does, a spot doesn't have to get hit that hard for the birds to wisen up, right, and yep. move somewhere else. And so what I think and what solved that covey slump for us was – literally going somewhere else on that wildlife management area that we have not been. There's yeah. always somewhere else you haven't gone on public land. Like it just is.
0: You, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's interesting. We settled on about the same thing. First off, we think it takes many days for a covey that's been chased out of a spot to come back mm-hmm. to that spot, unless they're compelled to because there's nothing better. But Right. You know, and I talk about this a lot in my uh, public lands uh, seminar uh, about how let let okay yes the odds are likely that somebody pushed those birds out. So where did they push them to? Go there instead. Right. It, I mean, it, it, it seems it, to work. And I, you're exactly right, and and I think we get caught
1: in a comfort zone, man.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You we know, are um, we are creatures the- of habitat.
0: Yeah, hab- yes. Oh, I made I made a Freudian slip. We are creatures of habitat. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there you all, go. all of that and more. There uh, you go. Okay, so so because one of the many things we have in common now is chucker hunting, tell me about your your first chucker hunt.
1: Oh my gosh. So, all right, this was and this is the hunt that I tell everyone that that I that I tell this story to um, it was the hunt of the of a lifetime because so many of the variables that I I care the most about you know in in upland from the dogs and what dog it is and all of this so all the variables came together right upland hunting is this big puzzle well um, I had the the pleasure to ride out from Atlanta we drove from Atlanta to the Owyhee Canyon in Oregon um, on behalf of the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership. In um, a partner project out there, so me and Sav Sankaran, he works for Orvis. Um, we rode out there, uh, my three dogs and his one, um, and so we drove out there. It was 35 hours, um, and just, I mean, it was it was everything that I, that my dogs weren't used to, mm-hmm. wide open, mm-hmm. but. What got me, I mean, it was us, Jared Romero from TRCP, Michael O.K. Steeles. Anyway, we were all camping out, a lot of BHA guys. I mean, just remote, that country. Every, I mean, the food was great. The campfire was awesome. The conversations, kids running around, dogs running around, all of that stuff, right? Um, but the hunt, I mean, we grinded it out. The first covey we got into my dogs, we don't. I don't really use a lot of pin birds here, and the ones that I do are are, are Bob Whites. So I don't really use pin raised Chucker, you know, to train my dogs. Yeah. So they didn't. They don't know. They didn't at the time know which ones it was. My oldest dog Vegas, he goes, and I kind of noticed that he's kind of giving a weird like I smell something, but I don't really know what to do. Oh. <laughs> and like a, I mean, it wasn't a half a second after he took just one too many steps. 50 something birds rise up off a of rim rock. I mean just huge covey of chucker and I'm like, "Oh. Okay, so this is the game we're playing today." All right. And so we're going and I fired a shot just to let my dogs know like, "Look, that's what we're that's what we're doing." <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like I knew I wasn't gonna hit anything. Yeah yep. <laughs> that's what we're going after, guys. Yeah, so Bab's <laughs> dog catches on his setter, beautiful, beautiful setter. Um my oldest dog, Vegas, and Hot Boy, my other pointer, they all are like, Okay, game on. Um, so all that first day we had been getting into coveys but didn't get any it didn't bring anything down. Okay. Second day is what got me, man. second day we go, and by this point in time, I'm just tired of getting skunked, right like yeah. I'm tired of getting skunked. um and so I had um I, I but I was like, you know what? I was doing a lot of things that i I was kind of using guns and stuff that I don't normally use like i i and and kind of hunting and I just I was uncomfortable, yeah, you know the first day, the second day I was like, all right, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm looking for is what it is, so I got my favorite gun four ten, my uh double L Beretta, my 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 two, you know, hot dogs. I got Hot Boy, he comes out of Champion Mills, Blindsiders, Direct Sun there, like dream pedigree, right? Like just rebel bred dogs, all of that stuff. And then Vegas, my first pointer, L U, all of that. And so I've got these two dogs that I just had so much ambition for, right? On the ground. And and now I'm pissed off. Like we I got skunked the first day. So I am might as well have been sprinting, trying to get the birds and stuff, keeping up with the dogs. Dogs are running, pads are blown, feet hurting. But one thing I did want to know, Hot Boy, my youngest pointer, he, I mean, just getting it done and moving, pushing through, gritting it out, right? Scott, this dog messed around and jammed up on a point. I mean, jammed up on a cubby. Held it. I mean, beautifully, incredible poise. like, I mean, just, I'm all, you know, we were both teachers, and we'll get into that too, I'm sure, but like, the fine art teacher in me gets, you know, wigs out about like Italian sculpture, and like, that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. And birds get up, first shot, bam, bring a bird down with my dream gun over dream dog, dream pedigree with Brian Grossenbacher. You know, photographing the whole thing in the background, like the photographer that I I, when I was getting into this, like his stuff I was looking at, you know, um, it was it all. came. That's what I mean. man. It just all came together. Vegas backed him, you know, beautifully. Like it just it's one of those things where. When I when I got the bird back in my hand, you just got to give thanks, man, like you just got to give thanks to the universe, to God, whoever it is that you worship, like you just got to get that back. You know, and that was that moment for me.
0: You know, you describe it in the perfect way. Number one, you the first thing you learned was uh, you hunt them the first time for fun, the second time for revenge. <laughs> the, but you also just hit on what's what's really important. I joke about it at uh, a lot of happy hours. All you need is one good piece of dog work to make the dream, mm-hmm. and you you got it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, and
1: it's just it's amazing to like. To walk up on that, you know, like you, you know, you're always at an, some kind of an incline, you know, so you, and it just, for them to know how to just dial in on those birds, man. I mean, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. You know, we had gotten a couple more birds after that, um, that day. But, I mean, Scott, to drive 35 hours out, hunt for a couple of days, and then drive back, we were on the road longer than we were actually yeah. on the field because it was yep. a pretty, sh- pretty short. <laughs> I'll definitely be back but um if you ask me to do it again I'll do it again the next day
0: well you know like I said uh I'll show you some more uh of that canyon it's a nice long canyon with a lot of nice uh-huh. places including some level ground uh <laughs> which would be a nice change so uh the 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 invitation stands and we yes, could sir. we could well, geek I'm out on do- chuckers all day but let's let's talk more about uh what you do on a daily basis first off let, let's talk about all the things you're doing i mean you've got <laughs> podcasts website yeah, you know tell me tell me what darrell smith is up to these days well
1: <laughs> it is a lot um so i run uh two three organizations sorry um what i started and and became and and garnered a lot of um a lot of friendships and notoriety in was the sporting life notebook um that's where i got my start um running bird dogs working my own dogs and i've since become a guide um, a hunting guide from that over the last seven and a half years um but as another growth you know and an offshoot to that in 2020 um during that that chaos at that time my wife and I started um, our nonprofit, Minority Outdoor Alliance, um, and we have been blessed um, to have incredible partners um, in such a short time. It's only been three years, um, you know, from Peasants Forever, TRCP, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, um, you know, with Sporting Dog, and a lot of other, a lot of other folks um, that I don't want to forget the name, so let me stop <laughs> dropping, but we, we run a festival every year um, and we run a series of learn to hunt programs that have been great with um, backcountry hunters and anglers and pheasants forever. Um, run about 13 of those a year. Um, and so when I'm doing, I'm not doing that. I'm an artist. I'm a working artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually just had a show last year, American Soil, American Soul. That was my solo show. Um, I'm playing and host all of my own. And then this year, I am the artist in residence um, down in Thomasville, Georgia. Um, and I will be having another show uh, at Grassroots down that way. Uh, so I'm a working artist in addition to all of that stuff. My podcast, has, I've been blessed to have been doing it. Um, it was a way for me to document my process and document. Um, I said I never wanted to forget what I was doing with my first dogs. Sure. And that has since grown um, to not only help me learn how to work my dogs and, and help other people, um, it's been a resource. It also connected me to um, our cultural histories, African-Americans and working dogs in plantation country. Um, and I, I got, you know, entrenched in the, the red Hills and that South Georgia plantation community. And they took me in um, and I got mentored there. So, I mean, there's just so much that the sporting life has to offer and, in so many different ways, I want to make myself a resource to people, you know, through that.
0: Well, uh, that's just part of the, that's the tip of the iceberg. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go submerged very, very quickly. Uh, you're listening to the Upland nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Darrell Smith. You just heard about all the things he's doing. Uh, we're here to talk more about the, the dogs and the birds, uh, uh than anything else. But, uh, Just give me a picture, pardon the pun, of some of the paintings you're doing, for example, if that's your medium. Um, Describe your art to us, and where can we see more of it? Yeah,
1: so um, com is my website. Um, And so what's really great is, Scott, I have been able to bring a lot of cohesion and unity between my art practice um, and the lifestyle of yeah. the sport of life. my dogs, the horseback work, um, you know, and everything that I'm doing. So I've got two bodies of work. Um, one large scale, what I call museum quality, large scale, abstract assemblages. Mm-hmm. So if you think about sculpture, you think about painting at the same time. Um, when I'm out in the field, you know, hunting, guiding, I say I always come back with something, whether it be a bird or whether it be some object from the field, whether it be an antler, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it be some man-made object, right? Something organic, something inorganic. Um, I'll toss them in my game vest, and I like to include those pieces into my work um, as as sculptural elements to what's already a painting. Um, Those paintings are huge. Um, A lot of writing, so if you think about... I'm still from Atlanta, like the city of Atlanta, born and raised, so like the influence of graffiti is still there, but the influence of graffiti as a way of of seeing it through the lens of Neolithic people, right? Our ancestors. We've always been doing that. So, like, I try to get the the foundation of my works to look like old graffiti walls, right? Like getting torn down, aging, and all of that. But on those, there are these gold-leaf images of animals you know in different scenes some a little more mythological in the in a sense of like how they would be positioned um some a little more realistic um, so that's the the assemblage work there and those pieces will be at the show um and then i've got a, a another body of work that actually follows a lot of a lot of my literary writing so i'm a writer for various magazines too um and a lot of the times I will write stories about whatever it is that I was doing in the uplands. And then uh, what happened was on the side of those stories, I was painting um, these watercolor gouache and India ink uh, paintings, black and white, a little bit of red in them um, just to give the feel of what it was that I was writing about. And I'd honestly saved those, put them to the side for a while. And they're 18 by 24 inches. Um, very illustrative, very lot of lot of lot of my my written hand in it, right? Sure. My my yeah. hand, yeah. and uh, I put him to the side. And my friend, um, where where I used to be represented, but he's still a very good friend of mine, Donovan Johnson at the uh, the Johnson Low Gallery here in Atlanta, Buckhead. He was like Darrell what in the world are you doing, man? He was like, why did you set those aside? (laughs) I just, I didn't think anything of them. They were just compliments to the written work. So now I started showing those and those, like I said, they, they've really done well. They, they, we sold a number of them at the last, um, at my last exhibition last year. Um, and it may be anything from, you know, a self portrait of me riding my, my horse boss, man, or um, a study, I, I see them as studies of maybe my dogs, right? The uh, with pointers and setters, it's all about anatomy, right? It's all about the art, the form, the structure, how they move, all of that. You know that, um, you know, and and they're very expressive in that way. They're very exploratory. So you know, those are the two bodies of of, of work that I'm I'm showing this year and what I got going on.
0: Yeah, you, 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 no chance to get into trouble with a life like that. That's for sure. <laughs> although, although being married to an abstract painter myself, I understand that every time you touch a brush to a canvas, somebody's going to gripe about it. Oh uh, my!
1: Of course. But of course.
0: But, but more power to you, and I can't wait to to look at more of your work. I got a quick glance, and I'm, I'm now I'm really interested.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, thank you so uh, much, man. That's it. Oh, you for marrying an artist, man.
0: Oh, yeah, it was a long story, but...
1: Uh, uh, <laughs> You'll have to tell me.
0: Let's talk more about your, your quail hunting down there. Tell me a little bit about kind of a, uh, how that's gone and uh, and you know, some of the highlights of some of your recent quail hunts.
1: Yeah, so, you know, Bob White quail hunting, that's that's my heart and soul. You know, that's what I came up on, um, you know, as I was making my introduction, and... It, it, as a as a Southerner, you know, uh, I'm 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 very traditionalist, uh, purist in some ways. Yeah, <laughs> sure. And a lot yeah. of just because of just the culture down here. But um, our bird numbers have been really really good this season. Um, you know, I hunt with pointers and setters. Um, I've got American pointer. I've got what four. I'm sorry, three American pointers, one, uh, continental or Ecuadorian pointer, um, from, you know, Italian Spanish lines. And then I've got my, uh, setter, you know, from here out. So I'm, I'm pretty traditional in that way. I like to see the dogs work. Our cover has been great. Um, you know, DNR quail forever. Uh, they do a great job managing, uh, most days. And so, it's rough hunting. Like it's, it's all of the, the chaos of, of briars and, and, and blackberry bushes and all of that stuff. And the birds here have been smart. Like they're doing a lot of running. Yeah. Yeah. So I've really had to really do a lot more. Um, I'm at that point in the season where I'm having to let my dogs not that I don't, but really lean into the trust that I put into my dogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The birds are doing something way different this season, um, and they're 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 liking to the hang out in the hardwoods, and that's what's kicking my butt is figuring out when it because that's not that's not typical of them. Yeah, you know they're 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 wire grass, you know pine stands, and they're there, but they're also. I don't know if they're hiding or roosting or, or, adapting some kind of way to hanging out in some hardwood bottoms. Um, and it's, it's not typical. So I'm honestly having to do a few things outside of my element. Like I said, just kind of getting thinking outside the box. This yeah.
0: Season. You know, you know, and I get it again, it may be because they're pushed, you're hunting public ground and that sort of thing. Number one, public grounded Bob White's, don't even belong in the same sentence oh god no oh, we'll we'll talk about that as well but let's let's talk about something you said because of those challenges you have to trust your dog a little bit more what do you mean by that like
1: we all we get we get these dogs right we focus on pedigrees we get this we get that and we we spend so much money on it and for some odd reason we read a training book and, and for some odd reason now we, we know more than a dog. Right. But yeah. initially we got the dog for his nose and for his brain. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, again, you get into a rhythm where you may know a, a WMA, you may know, you know, a property so well because you've been so successful that, you know, and, and good on you for doing the research, right. You've hit it. You've, you scouted it and, and you get to autopilot with the dog where, yes, the dog is hunting, but, I mean, both of y'all are, I mean, you're, I'm, I, I even got a milk route on some of my WMAs, right? I, yeah. I hit the same trail, and I'm, I'm, I pretty much can time it. Well, that to me is, is sometimes, it feels like thinking for the dog sometimes, right? Yeah. Where that dog might be peeling off to the left or to the right because something is making him peel but because you know this route, right? You know this lane, you know how things are supposed to go because it's been like that for the last two or three seasons, right? That you forget that, no, that that dog got curious and you haven't been over there before. And so instead of being like, ah, no, come on, get back on track, no, like maybe be open to seeing what that older, more experienced dog really is doing or be open to the, you know, because that dog is experienced. You got him, or maybe be 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 open to the fact I've been running a lot of young dogs. That, you know, a lot of running young dogs is guiding them, you know, into the right spots mm-hmm. so they can be, you know, they yeah. can learn to hunt. Right? You yep. there is that, but I've noticed that my my young dogs have gotten birds up in places that I didn't think of. Right, and so you got to trust that. Yeah, this might be their first season, but you still got them for what they naturally and intuitively know how to do.
0: Yeah, you know, I, uh, for years I opened up uh, the opening title sequence of a TV show I made. I said, follow the hunter with the longest nose. Mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. and I think I remember that. There's a lot I'm of truth early. That. Uh, <laughs> well, thank <laughs> that you. Was what I was watching yeah.
1: early. Oh man,
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, that was a fun. Sure, sh- yes, no, sure. I shouldn't say that's the funnest show I've ever made, but I, I sure had a lot of fun with it. Um, oh, you look like
1: uh, a lot of fun.
0: But I mean, it's the truth, though,
1: right? Like, yeah, you you get it, and I I'm guilty of it. I'm I'm guilty of knowing certain areas. I I, I know I to the point where I could be like, all right, well, we should be back here by like four. Right. And I'm not always right, but I'm pretty right. You know, because I've just been at this spot for, you know, so long, but you got to remember like, no, let that dog hunt, like yeah. maybe slow down. Right. Cause you can even get so comfortable in a spot that you actually maybe even be walking too fast. Well, you know, and pushing that dog, and that dog is not being thorough about, you know, what 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 the area that he needs to be checking because you're pushing him.
0: Oh, I agree. I, I think all of us walk too fast. And, mm-hmm. and that, that is something that I I keep getting reminded of when I'm going with people with way more experience than me. And uh, Terry Petro, thanks again for reminding me of that on this podcast a few months back. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you bring up something, and I was reminded of this. I remember reading this. There was some 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 research done that's, that, that basically concluded that every morning of a duck's life, it wakes up as if it's just been born. Everything's brand new. It, it approaches everything as if it, it's never experienced any of that before.
1: Mm-hmm. Our, Absolutely. Do- our, our
0: dogs are not quite that naive, if you want to call it, psychologically naive. Right. But, but they are more of that than we are. And sometimes Mm -hmm. maybe that's what we need to honor is that naivete and let, let them explore in the ways that we wouldn't because we're too hardened and jaded and experienced. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's,
1: that's the, that's the truth, man. Like, again, let's go back to what, when we all had one dog, right? Like, what You know, you didn't have a choice but to put everything you had into that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and you didn't know anything. So all you had to do was basically follow the dog. Well, as those years go by, like, you know, that you forget what it was like when you just had one dog.
0: Boy, I love that. I'm going to write it down. And, and, and everybody else, uh, pay attention to me while I make these brief commercial messages. Darrell Smith will be back with more gems of wisdom. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Back to you in just a moment, Darrell. Uh, we're brought to you in part by LandTrust.com. And, you know, we're always looking for someplace to hunt, someplace new, maybe better, change of scenery, all that. That's what they have to offer. A day trip or even some places will let you stay overnight. It's kind of a DIY option, LandTrust.com. Just got word, my friends at LandTrust will be at Pheasant Fest, so stop by and visit them there, of course. And you can always learn more at LandTrust.com, where you can get yourself, you know, kind of the VRBO approach, if you will, to hunting on private ground. One day, two days, uh, or longer, High-quality, private access on a one-day, two-day basis. Go explore at LandTrust.com. And uh, when you're there shooting, of course, you'll shoot better if you got great choke tubes. And TrueLockChokes.com is where I go to outfit my guns. They've got a choke tube for just about anything. This time of year, maybe you're thinking about target shooting, they've got it. Look up your gun on their long list, and then you can figure out which choke tubes will go in there and what they're best for. They got a lifetime warranty, satisfaction guarantee, lots of choices at trulockchokes.com. And with that, we're back with Darrell Smith uh, in Atlanta right now, but quite often in the Quail Woods. Darrell, give me one highlight of your quail season.
1: One highlight of my quail season, um, man, we've had a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to All hear right. that. Oh, actually,
1: I got one. So we, I actually just took a client out um, recently, um, Mr. Garrett, and. What was cool was a number of things that day. Uh, Number one, I was able to take him out. Um, I met him. I was sitting down at dinner in Thomasville, um, and I guess he had seen some of my work in, uh, like, Gardening Gun or something like that. But he reached out and said, hey, you know, I want to go on a hunt. So I took him there, Um, pristine Bob White, I mean, textbook Bob White cover, right, Um, beautiful day. He brought his son and he brought his father-in-law. Um, and what was cool about that was his father-in-law was, um, he was a, uh, he's from California and used to hunt quail. He'd been hunting quail out there since he was about 12. Mm-hmm. And always wanted to come out here. And so he had just had surgery on his shoulder, so he couldn't shoot. But he still joined us on the hunt and walked with us. Um, Garrett's younger son was there which was really cool he had a little you know little bb gun or something like that little <laughs> pellet gun um uh, with him uh you know and it was cool to see him checking his son about gun safety holding the gun the right way just teaching him the right habits um and then of course garrett himself being you know the father like to see three generations out with me on a hunt um and three generations of african-american men which doesn't happen you know, in the woods like that for me, like that was really, really cool. Um, but then also the, the highlight for all of them was, um, you know, a lot of the times I'll, I'll let clients if they want to bring their dogs, especially they want to get the dogs on wild birds. I'll let them bring them out. Um, you know, as long as it's safe and everybody, you know, we're, we're all good. Well, he brought a beautiful setter out. Um, it was their family dog, you know, and, and really the dog was about two or three. Um, hadn't really gotten into birds like that, but had just gotten in the preserve and and did well there. Well, by the end of that hunt, not only had we gotten four, five coveys up for the client in general with mine, that last single was pointed by his dog who had never hunted wild birds before. Wow! And I mean, just the the look on Granddaddy's face, the look on mr garrett's face like just to to that that feeling of accomplishment like that's why why i like guiding you know is to really deliver moments like that for them it's that felt complete for me
0: yeah and i don't blame you i mean the hair is standing up on the back of my neck just hearing the story Uh, uh there there's no part of that story that isn't really cool Uh, so so good on you and what a wonderful experience what do you think the the little guy took away from that experience
1: you know what what i wanted what we were talking about that afterwards um and he was excited he was just excited to be with his dad Uh which you know like you know how little boys are man you want to be like your dad my son well not my dad dad, you know like (laughs) You know, and I, so for him, it was being with his dad, watching his dad enjoy something, and and I think that did it. What got me was what his dad saw. Okay, which was his son. Because I mean, we were in like where that where we were. I mean, it wasn't pretty. Like it's classic South Georgia quail cover. like briars, nasty. You know, like, it, it's, it was rough. You know, you need chaps, all of that stuff. And this young man persevered with no complaints. hmm
0: hmm
1: You know, and I and I told Mr. Garrett, I said, you know, I said, you got something there, man. I was like, this young man, had, this is his first time ever coming out here, didn't complain about walking, which he wouldn't. He was young. I think he was, like, maybe 10, you know, but... We put on some miles that day. Yeah. We put on about eight, like about eight miles that day. And never complained, you know, was there, was in great spirits the whole time, um, was enthusiastic, was was super cooperative, you know, even repeating some of the, the gun safety stuff. I was like, man, that's that's really cool to see that. And he was like, I was just thinking about that. He was like, I'm really proud of my son for for sticking it out with us. Yeah. Oh, and I love as it. As a father, like that, that that's got to feel good.
0: No doubt about it. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. let's go back into the field in general uh, and talk about <clears throat> the highest priority for almost all of us and that is finding more public ground to hunt. Yep. And then once we get there exploiting it to uh, to its maximum. I mean, it's a little different perhaps because you're deep in the southeast and you're in what really is a kind of a checkerboard with some, some public uh-huh. ground, private ground, public ground. How, how do you go about finding new public access?
1: So that was a huge challenge um, for me early on. Mm-hmm. And rightfully so there's a, a lot of it has to do with perception, right? Of mm. uh, you think most of the, most people come down here and think that most of this is private and a lot of it, uh, a great deal of it is well, for me, it was a couple of things. Number one, getting involved in the community. Um, and what I mean is, like, I, I would find – the the best part about Georgia is we're all very, very, like, open. Like, yeah. we'll help you. Yeah. you know, I, I help people on WMAs, and that's because others that have hunted similar places that's from here have done the same for me. So one of – and, and, and that's what I mean being a part of the community. Find a place – Right, like you can go online. The DNR will give you a report on game bird numbers um, across every WMA in in Georgia, Mm. and it'll say good, fair, not good, all of that. So, kind of find a ballpark, right? And most of it, I mean, we all know it's, you know, between middle and South Georgia, which gives you a lot to work with. But for quail, you know, they're not in Atlanta. So you know you got to go south. Well, from there, check those WMAs, check the DNR reports. They put them out every season, and they update them pretty regularly. Um, as far as new public grounds, um, one of the things that I do once I find an area, I honestly get as far, far, far away from people on that WMA as I possibly can if i see a car i go as far as i can away from it Mm -hmm. that's been another thing for me too and i know that probably sounds like every game bird but no seriously like the birds down here most of it is running and you just kind of push them deeper into the into the space yeah um when i say get involved in the community um there's a lot of old quail hunters out here man and they love telling stories right and if you if you kind of listen to the details in their stories, like uh, and, and I, they they leave hints about like rough cover, right? <sighs> what the what I found is what the cover looked like for them then. It looks like it now.
0: Yeah, there um, are some universalities. Yes. Mm-hmm,
1: there's a lot of so I I got I got deep into talking to people. Um, you know, everybody down here. If you're wearing hunter orange and something that looks like you're going quail, somebody's going to say something to you anyway. Uh-huh. You know, so, yeah, like, it's, I mean, it's, it's, when you get to South Georgia, man, I mean, it's quail culture. Like, there, there's something's named after quail this, it's a plantation that, the, somebody's logo is a pointer, you know. So I literally would just go in to some of these gas stations, right, and just talk to some of these old guys. You know, and then my mentors were old guys, so they would tell me kind of general areas of where to go. So between studying, like, what the DNR says is good that year and really talking to people, they will tell you how to hunt. I had a young guy come down here, man, um, and we hunt together now just about every every first day of the season. Um, and he just – I appreciate him. He just straight up asked me. He was like, hey, man – I'm not from here. I'm, oh, I have, I he's, he, he was from Griffin, but he was like, I'm not from, you know, South Georgia, never hunted this place. I got these, you know, two or three little Britneys. Honestly, I, I listened to you probably, how do I do this? And I appreciate him for just straight up asking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, and, and it's just,
1: funny. You, yeah. He just did on ass. And I said, okay, well look, I'm going to give you this track, go down this way and, and take this direction and just follow that trail. And I was like, matter of fact, that was the trail that I was going to go in because I've been here, Um, and I'll go find something else. And sure enough, that whole time, not only did he come back with a limit, which I told him, (laughs) that doesn't ever happen. (laughs) I was like, that doesn't actually ever happen, so don't get
0: comfortable.
1: (laughs) But I was like, you know, I said the next time somebody needs help, you help them, right? You yeah. ain't got to tell them where the birds are, but give them a general direction, tell them what to look for, and, you know, and just be a, a helping hand.
0: You know, it's so funny to to hear this described slightly differently uh, from you uh, uh, as opposed to other people and how I believe in that as well. But <clears throat> simply being open-minded and friendly uh mm-hmm is you'll never read that in a book or watch that on a video but it's absolutely true. Just keep your eyes and ears open, be nice. Um the t- term is overused now, but if you're paying it forward, great mm-hmm. things happen.
1: Yep. Yep. Seriously. Well, I mean, it's that's the that is again one of those universal truths like pay it forward.
0: Yeah yeah well Mm. pay pay this forward let's get down to brass tacks here you're you're out guiding clients or you're hunting for yourself what are some of the things that um that we if we're your client or you if you're just hunting for fun or with that guy you just directed to his first and probably hopefully only limit what 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 should we do more of out there, whether it's strategy, tactics, dog handling, or anything else?
1: I'm going to say um, n- get to know your local areas better. Yeah. That's been a goal of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know we all want to travel, right? It, like, But it's it's you'll be surprised how well you don't know your local spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, Go to the corners that you wouldn't do. Like, that has been the biggest revelation for me this season. Yeah. Was literally keep, I mean, yes, travel, but there's so much, even here in Georgia, there's still so much public land that I just have not covered, right? Like, and I I was driving by um, going to one WMA and happened to pass another one on a completely different side because I had to take some kind of a just roundabout way. And I was like, man, that looks good. I've never seen that before, you know? And, you know, I spent all this time going across the country, you know, coming out your way and hunting in Oregon, but I can't honestly say that I have exhausted all of my public land opportunities here. And that's a great thing to say, right? Yeah. But, exhaust the public land opportunity, really get to know them, get to know them deeper. Yeah. You know, some of the people, some of the the, the, the greatest old heads out there, the, the, those old guys, like they weren't traveling everywhere back in the day. Right. They, like the, the, the resources, the money, the time probably wasn't there. So when they hunted, they really knew a place intimately. Um, a, a writer buddy, Andrew Wayman, who I love his, 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 his works. Mm-hmm. Um, not only is he just an incredible grouse hunter and I love talking to him, but when you read his stories, this man knows his coverts like on an intimate level. And that's, yeah. that's, that's the challenge that I want to leave out there. And that's what I'm, I'm actively trying to do myself.
0: Here's the problem. Uh, we, and we're all guilty of it. Um, fear of failure let's uh, so yeah. yeah the nearest place i want to go but i'm afraid i might go birdless that day right and, Right. and yeah it's a very real possibility but the opposite is also true mm-hmm and we de- we don't think about it that way we have pressure the precious little free time and all of that but but there is a reward every every mm-hmm. third time you're going to mark that on your online app and you're going to go back so right, so it's an investment. Maybe that's a reason to scout off-season.
1: Well, and, and, and that is a reason to scout. Like, and, you know, we have, like, I just think about it in terms of a timeline thing, too. Like, we, we have these dogs. We sign life contracts with these dogs for hopefully, you know, Lord willing, anywhere between 12 and 16 years, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of time with a dog. Why not spend that time going to take that dog somewhere new, teaching that dog how to hunt somewhere new, even if it's at home?
0: Uh, I I can't can't argue that at all. In fact, just the opposite. I uh, there is nothing like watching a dog in a new, uh, it, whether it's a field that uh, has the same habitats or mm-hmm. a brand new place, as you described with your dogs coming out to Chucker Country. They mm-hmm. th- their eyes are wider, their ears are perked up. They are on high alert. Yeah, and is there anything more fun than watching a dog on high alert? I mean, that's 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 what, like I said, that's what we got them for, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, so tell me about the uh, the, uh, uh, go back to your guide experience, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it's paid or just taking somebody. What is the biggest mistake we make when we're out there hunting, uh, particularly maybe with bob whites?
1: Um, the biggest mistake is, I think it is honestly not reading Habitat correctly. Um, one of those things, and I, and not looking at what could potentially be escape cover. Um, and I will, I'll, I'll give you an example. So I had, matter of fact, I'll give you an example from that same client. Matter of fact, um, after he left. That day, um, I had a few. I probably had a couple of hours left to just kind of do my own thing, walk around. Well, I um, I was walking back through one of the tracks that I had already been on, just to you know mosey around. I wasn't like I, I I just I wasn't really trying to accomplish anything. I just felt like I had really cleared the whole area yet, so like let me go back and see. Sure, you know now, so. I go and and my brain sees this little patch and anything to me that looks like a triangle and and wire grass, that to me screams quail cover. Like if it's shaped like a triangle, it's an edge. And then when I when I think about it in my mind's eye, um, there was plenty of opportunities for that for any birds to escape. Okay. Well I go and, and it, it just it looked right, but it was such a small piece. Like, it was a little small patch of cover. Um, my dog actually just motored right past it. And my brain was like, I I, I remember having a second thought. I was like, something is, that, that looks cool, but nah, whatever. Well, then the dog swings back um, and kind of gives like a, mm, something could be here. But is it really thorough about it? So I like I send him on um, because I just I didn't think much of it. And as I kind of took maybe two or three steps in the direction of the cover, making me a little bit closer to it, two birds get up out of it and dart off. (laughs) And I'm like, huh. And and when I sit and look at it, it, everything about it made sense. But because it wasn't a pine stand, right, because it wasn't, you know, uh, it it didn't look like where I had been seeing birds get up in, any other time during that day. I just kind of disregarded it. And I was like, ah, maybe birds were there. No, those birds were sitting, waiting, and they knew they had outsmarted the dog. Yeah. But I, what I could have done was – again, be a little more thorough, call the dog back in. And no, you're not going to breeze by it this time because they make mistakes. We all do. So bring them back in and let's really check this. And I, and, and if I had a, when I also think about it, we weren't really, there wasn't a lot of wind to work with. Sure. So if I had a, maybe circled that piece of cover, we may have gotten a point, you know, he may have caught and sent or something and I would have had a better indication.
0: Well, you know, <clears throat> I was just uh, writing something, thinking about a bass fishing challenge. <clears throat> Not that I know a lot about that world, but <laughs> I do I, I do know that um, uh, structure, of course, is important to bass and, hmm. and even trout for that matter. But but what you've described is, well, there was something different, and, and we use the term edge a lot. I get that. The, you know, we're yep. always hunting edges, ecotones, I think they call them sometimes, yep. but, but an edge can be just a just an unusual piece of uh terrain right with a different kind of flora and mm-hmm. because it's unusual it might have an attraction even though it's not the classic habitat if it's different it might have an attraction on a certain day for a certain bird that maybe got pressured somewhere else and that's yep. what you, to me that's what i just heard
1: yep and that's that's what it was. it, it, it was another option. And obviously the, it worked if we just think about Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. You know, it was different enough to throw me off to definitely throw the dog off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's nature at its finest right there. I mean what I, I always say, you know, sometimes nature has to win a hunt with a four ten a double barrel four ten. I'm the, the king of saying nature has to win sometimes, but that is an example of like cunning the ultimate cunning
0: yeah you know i found uh, we'll we'll jump chuckers all over the place and uh, most of the time you don't find chuckers in uh, in heavy stands of juniper trees yep but if there are juniper trees nearby or even streamside uh, some alder trees if mm-hmm. you, you jump a covey um one or two of them end up in the trees yeah because nobody looks for them and and granted they don't think it's some hunters they just they're scared they're going to go to some place they don't think they're going to be threatened again
1: right right and you know and that's that is the nature of wild birds I mean, the whole time I was up in in Minnesota hunting with my buddy Dawson, and uh I was getting skunked on rough grouse a couple of times because birds were flushing right off of my ear. I was looking on the ground. And they were flushing right off the side of my ear. And I'm like, oh, you know, and I just, I I, I imagine that in their brain, somehow, they're probably like, whether it's a coyote or whether it's a person or whatever this predator is, you know, whatever this predator is, 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 is obviously looking for me on the ground.
0: Yeah, exactly, and I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's true, and uh, and we need to bear that in mind. Um, yes, sir. Uh, when you're when you're taking somebody out, or you're hunting on your own, and and it could be in the breaks of the Owyhee River out here, or it could be in in Bob White Country. What is one essential piece of gear? for you, your dog, your clients, for that matter, on a guide trip. What is a piece of gear that you bring for sure that we probably don't?
1: Um, You know what, man? I have come to find a lot of value um, in just a plain, plain old compass. Like, not one from your phone. Like, I always keep one uh, on me. And and reason being, I've had plenty of times where, I mean, my phone would just die out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one of those things that I, I've I've really come to find a lot of value in. It's also one of those things that has forced me to get back connected with, you know, operating outside of technology. So, and and weirdly enough, I, 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 I don't see a lot of old compasses around anymore in people's game vests.
0: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: Um, I think just because they, they're, they're plugged in our phones and things like that or they're plugged into, you know, whatever GPS app or whatever you're using. But I just – there's been times that I use just an old – just that. Um, you know, and then my other thing, I actually – I'm one of the types of people that I use two whistles. Um, And this is something that's been really, really kind of cool as far as my guests. And it helps me a lot. I have two whistles for my dogs. Um, One is, is is obviously get out and the other is come back. Um, A lot of the times my clients, they'll kind of have an idea of what's going on and it kind of gives them an idea of what's going on during the hunt, depending on what whistle I'm going. Cause I always huh. tell them like this higher pitched whistle is to call them back in, you know, and it just kind of, it, it's interesting, you know, not micromanaging people, but you're you are setting up expectations of what you should be looking for, you know, what's going on and all of this stuff, even with the dogs. And so usually I'll, I'll sit the dog out and I've had clients where I've got bigger runners sometimes, um, and you know they're paying top dollar for a hunt. They want to see a dog, right? And yep, yep. that whistle, I can kind of regulate their distance. <laughs> yeah. No, I. You I, know, and, and I get how it. I kind of manage that. Um, I've had clients get nervous that I, that my dogs are running way too big sometimes. Um, why they got nervous i don't know but because of that i can kind of keep them dialed in and if i pop on you know the orange or whistle my older dogs they'll kind of get the point and be like all right maybe we don't need to be kind of as wide as we are
0: i, I um, love it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So because I, after that all that, yeah huh? after all you're in the entertainment business so yeah so let's keep the dogs on the stage
1: yeah and, and that's I, I i have to remember that because i'm this guy, I like a, a hot running dog. I do. Um, but, again, for guiding and stuff like that, like, you're giving people – it's showmanship. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're giving people a performance, um, you know, out in the field, and, and, and you're trying to level the odds. Um, but I have just found that a lot of my clients – um and even myself now, like I can even appreciate not having to be on my toes all the time because mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah. dog is like four hundred something yards out, like, um, which is fun. It's 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 great fun. Um, but as the season has gone on, man, like just to be able to to use those whistles and scale that dog's distance. Um, Has been a really great asset, Um, and and like I said, it gives my clients something to see.
0: I I like that idea, and I would, I would even think it would be. uh, You're probably doing this too, but uh, besides acquainting them with kind kind of some of the inside baseball talk between you and the dog. you know, there are other things that probably could be explained and answer some of those questions they didn't ask, yeah. uh, whether it's protocol and safety, of course. But, <clears throat> you know, the reason we're going left instead of right is this. And right. and I think most people would appreciate a little bit more of that. And I, You know, I bet as a good guide, um, you're probably doing that.
1: Well, the whole point that I tell people, um, in our preliminary conversations before we hit the field, you know, before all the emails and what you should, I tell people, and I like to, I like to call, right? Like I like to call and talk to the person and see what kind of person you are. But one of those things is I always say, look, no matter whether you get one bird, whether or not that you're blessed to get a limit, that is not what's important. What's important is you come out with a greater understanding of the beauty of this landscape, what's going on and why it's going on and and afterwards how you can be a better contributor and a better steward, you know, of whatever space that you, you occupy.
0: Well, we're going to leave it at that because that is incredible. Uh, Darrell Smith, uh, Renaissance man, artist, uh, activist, guide podcaster, uh, learn more, about what's the best location if we want to just start learning more about Darrell Smith.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for your kind words. Um, so you can go. I'll give you a couple of them. So uh, the SportinglifeNotebook.com is our website. Just mm-hmm. everything can be contacted there. Um, and then visit minorityoutdooralliance.org um, for our nonprofit and to see some of the work that we're doing on that front. Um, and every, every other channel you can get through through those two.
0: There you go. Uh, Darrell, we'll do this again. Um, I will Sorry. look forward to seeing you somewhere down the road. Winter around here is when we all travel more than we wish we had. Yeah. Uh, but it was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks for helping us become better hunters, conservationists, and uh, and art aficionados. <laughs> cool.
1: Yeah, I, I am, like I said, it is truly an honor to be on here. You were one of the first shows that I would tune into early on in my hunting career. Um, so thank you so much for having me on, my friend.
0: Glad to be an OG for you, Durrell. Thanks so much, and enjoy 2024.
1: Yes, sir. You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, if you want to learn more about Darrell and what he's doing these days, go to thesportinglifenotebook.com. There's links there for just about everything we talked about and more. So uh, that's the place to start. Yeah, stick around. I've got one more cold weather destination that is going to be guaranteed to be warmer than where you are. So that's coming up in just a moment. First, let me remind you uh, that you will get 10% off your next order if you sign up for the emails or texts at MidwayUSA.com. Whether it's foul weather gear new socks like I just got or some of your non-toxic or even the lead shot that you're looking for for target season it's all available right now and easy delivery they work hard to keep you happy that's why they've won the bizrate platinum circle of excellence award take a look at their vast array of products for bird hunters dog handlers and anybody else who's camping hiking fishing And, of course, shooting at MidwayUSA.com. And I am at the point where I'm, uh, you know, thinking about possibly considering getting all my guns cleaned up for storage. Yeah, I hate, you know, I love putting that off because I hate thinking about what it means. But when you're ready for that, head to SageAndBreaker.com pick up all the gun cleaning and care products you need from their firearms grease to their CLP spray it on wipe it off and your gun is clean and dust free yeah and there's even a factor in there that will keep it slightly more dust free than anything else out there and that's not before you start talking about their transport and storage opportunities whether it's a range bag or a gun cleaning mat. So learn more about what they've got and what's coming down the pike. Sign up for their mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. Well, if you still got any gas money left uh, here on our road trip this week, I'm going to suggest a late season destination that'll more than likely be warmer than wherever you are unless you're in brazil east of tucson arizona number one my favorite big town is the little town of wilcox you'll find some of the better scaled quail hunting in the country around wilcox if you're looking for one last trip and you're somewhere in the southeast or passing through some of you snowbirds snowbirds head for wilcox they're found in the lower elevations northwest of town, around the Steel Hills and the Allen Flat areas. And while you're in Wilcox, if you're a country music fan, visit the Friends of Marty Robbins Museum in between hunts. Yeah, Wilcox, Arizona. Maybe next season, I'll see you there. Yeah, and that uh, road trip segment is brought to you by ESPamerica.com. I'm now using my new ESPamerica Earplugs, Electronic, digital, in the field. They're so advanced in technology, there's very little wind noise. They're comfortable, custom fitted. They stay in, and my ears are protected. You know, hearing loss is permanent and cumulative. Go learn all the reasons you should be using them as well. Go to ESPamerica.com. And, of course, I use them when I'm visiting my friends Dave and Vandy Fiedler at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School. How was your shooting this year? Well, yeah, I know. (laughs) That's why I'm going back, taking a lesson. If you can get to Western Oregon, they've got a great instructional philosophy because it's built around hunting. They all hunt and they know what you're going up against when you step into the field. You got a dog on point and you're trying to connect on a bird. Take a lesson at midvalleyclays.com. Or if you're just passing through and you want to have some fun heading for the in-laws or something else, stop by and play any other clay target games. Trap, skeet, sporting, even helice. It's all available at midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks, Darrell Smith, for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast. If you all want to learn more about Darrell, thesportinglifenotebook.com is where you do that. Would appreciate you telling one person about the podcast. Spread the word. Help other people learn a little bit here and there and have some fun as well. Yeah, please leave a rating or a review if you would. And then thank our sponsors when you purchase their products. Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina ProPlan Sport Dog Food, Mid Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, ESPamerica.com, MidwayUSA.com, and LandTrust.com. If you want more, come on down to findbirdhuntingspots.com, watch the videos, listen to the podcast there, and learn something from all of those articles I put together for your edification. Until I see you at the range, which is probably where it will be, I'll see you right back here next week. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast.